Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, let's get into our counterpoint, which, of course, is brought to you by our friends over at Pizzaville, which you can give them a call at 416-736-3636 or head online to pizzaville.ca and start clicking away. All right, a couple of new voices welcomed into this uh, first round of counterpoint. We got Leanna Kersner, who's a YouTuber, journalist, and a former TV producer. You uh, write our host, so you survived to uh, tell the tale. Good to have you. Thanks. And we've got Jason LaChapelle, who is a press secretary for the Green Party of Ontario. Good to have you. Great to be here. Lots to talk about a little bit, uh, a little bit on a bunch of different topics. A lot being made about um, comments that Andrew Shear had made about conversion therapy um, and this comment about wait and see, which, look, I, and I can play the clip if you haven't heard it, but he's, he's pretty unequivocally against uh, you know, conversion therapy, those who aren't clearly aren't right in the mind because it's a terrible thing. So I'm not really looking to debate the issue of conversion therapy because I don't think any of us would think it's okay. The question I think that you start to ask is, you know, if the liberals thought that this was such a crucial issues, like why didn't they do anything for four years? Why did they reject the petition of 18,000 signatures in March saying, you know, it's a provincial issue? So I'll ask you, I'll start with you on this, Leanna. Isn't it more offensive that a party is politicizing such a sensitive issue that we all know they have no intention of fixing and likely, well, they can't. It's just, it's a difficult situation to legislate. Well, it is difficult, but doing nothing is not an option. I mean, I uh, I know somebody who was sent to conversion therapy last year. Mm-hmm. And so it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. It still happens. Mm-hmm. There's There's ways to get around any local law and it needs a massive amount of education. Um, I think... First of all, the original thing was a non-story. It never should have blown up in the first place. There was nothing really objectionable about his comments. It became a thing because he's Andrew Scheer, and the Liberals haven't done nothing the last four years. They've marched in the pride parades. Andrew Scheer hasn't. Andrew Scheer doesn't have the right to say you're doing nothing when he can't even show up to a parade. Well, he didn't say they were doing nothing. He just said, "Okay, well, we'll wait and see what they present." The point is, the Liberals can't present anything because they haven't drawn up any plan. They've just said, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna make it illegal." Okay, but that's great. You can say it. It's much harder to do because there's a lot of constitutional challenges behind it. So they sure. should have. They've had four years to do this, and yet it's only what three months before the election that they're now deciding well, this is an issue. Let's face it; some issues take more than four years. That's yeah. the big problem with politics. We have these multi generational issues we have to bite at four years at a time. It's a lousy way to do big ideas. And and I would add that I mean the provincial landscape has changed dramatically in the last four years. Mm-hmm. So when so when they came in, there were a lot of there were more liberal and NDP. <clears throat> governments, whereas today you have Jason Kenney, who's rolling back protections for LGBT kids in in schools in Alberta. You have Ford, who I would say sort of played footsies with social conservatives to help him get him elected, and you know there was well, we the sex have a sex curriculum. In place in Ontario, but it, I'm just it, saying it's that, more the legalities. I mean, this is a very complicated piece. Uh, you can't just criminalize something that is, you know, we might not like it, but there is a charter in this this country, and the issue is by criminalizing it, it's a freedom of expression, and you know. I go after the charter for a lot of things. But again, if it were this easy to do, then why didn't the liberals do it? 
Well, it's it's beyond that. You criminalize a behavior like this. You push it underground. You cut off the lifelines of LGBTQ plus youth in marginalized communities that won't speak out because they don't want their their mom, their dad, their their church elders to get arrested. They don't want to cause trouble. And so they don't reach out. They don't say this is happening. And so legislation, I mean, sure may be right. I can't believe I'm saying this, but sure may be right. Legislation may not be the right call here. But these are the sorts of issues where people that make people hate politics. Right. Mm-hmm. Because they're treating this as a political football when it's a very serious issue. Kids are, you know, committing self-harm, dying by suicide today. Mm-hmm. And they're turning this into a, I didn't do it, the liberals did it. I didn't do nothing, you did nothing. Right. These are the sorts of petty back and forths that make people hate politics yeah it's cynical it is cynical because the people that are looking at this now with hope that this is going to be criminalized it's not going to happen because it's just a political uh, but but there are some provinces who have who have taken steps not criminal it's bans that it's a ban that's not criminalizing it they can't go further because it's that complicated of an issue well it has to be treated like a a public health issue as well because Mm -hmm. of the harms because of the real psychological harms and with any of these um uh, cultural practices, education is super important. You can ban something, it just goes underground, and it makes it harder to to get to the youth that need the help. Now, the other thing they do is we're talking about criminalizing it for youth, right? So they just wait till the kid's 18. They're not a fully formed adult yet. Your, you know, your brain doesn't solidify until about 25, 28 years old. They ship them off to conversion therapy as adults. They get around the system that way. And so, again, to turn this into a petty partisan fight is a disservice to LGBTQ plus youth. And if Andrew Scheer got more involved, he'd know that. All right, let's flip it this uh, over to Foreign Affairs Minister Christian <clears throat> Freeland because she uh, is now you know, putting distance between the Trudeau Liberals and Canada's fired former ambassador to China, who she says does not speak for the government after he offered uh, advice to our Chinese, and I'm not going to say friends, to Chinese officials on how their attacks on Canada could influence the fall election. He said this to a newspaper, and uh, here is Christian Freeland speaking out again against this today. Let me be extremely clear that Mr. McCallum does not speak in the name of the government of Canada. I think that it is inappropriate for any Canadian to be advising any foreign government on ways it ought or ought not to behave to secure any particular election outcome in Canada. Jason, he may not speak for the government of Canada. The point is he has spoken and now he has spoken twice and the damage is done because not only has he undermined our country, I think he's put two Canadians who are... (laughs) Their lives are on the line in further jeopardy. It's certainly a, a very bad look, and I imagine the Liberals had hoped this problem would go away once, you know, when they fired him. So for them to see that he's still making news is probably very frustrating coming up on an election. <laughs> I mean, as a messenger, I mean, this must make... Their comms people must be ripping their hair out. I, I mean, absolutely. And, and knowing that, um, you know, Russia interfered in the U.S. election, just the potential for interference to secure, you know, an ally, a foreign ally to, to you know, the party you want to another country to get into power is is very terrifying that we might be losing control of our you know institutions and uh and democracy so it's it's certainly a bad look i I don't think we should create a false equivalence though of you know donald trump saying hey russia if you're listening we could really use those emails i think what he said is you know not to that extent um but certainly it's it's problematic it's it's not a it's not a good look for them 
I don't know, telling China, hey, by the way, if you're just a little nicer to Canada, you know, you're better off with this government. Uh, I, he shouldn't have said it. Where I where I come from in the tech world, we call this trolling. I mean, <laughs> you know, this is a guy who got essentially fired, had to resign for shooting his mouth off, shooting his mouth off again. Good troll, John McCallum. Good troll, right? But... Let's face it, the fact that there are two Canadians sitting in in Chinese prisons right now is an indication that we are already under threat. Let's not take our eye off the ball here. The threat is coming from the U.S. having a treaty with Canada, Canada holding up our end of the treaty by arresting Hawaii executive on the U.S.'s orders, and then the U.S. and Trump not following through on defending its ally. That's the real problem here, well, not what China's we, doing. Yeah, but yeah. You know, we, we have an agreement with uh, we have to follow through. Right. The bottom line is the Trudeau government's been very weak on this, and the guy that they hired to do that job just happens to have a very big, loose mouth. Well, he's been gone since January, so he's <laughs> not the guy. Not. He's like yeah. that bad smell who won't go away. <laughs> but it, I think it is really forcing us to reevaluate our, our, our policy with regards to China. And, uh, you know, I think for years we thought that through positive relations, we could, you know, maybe change their their human rights impact and a lot of their policies. And uh, maybe this is an awakening that that we need to to switch things up and that they might not be the ally that we we hoped they, they would were never be. an ally. But but let's diver- go a little right. let's go a little deeper than that, right? Like this is the battle of of Western democracy and free speech principles and China's single party rule state controlled media. If we can't handle a little free speech in this country, this plays in to the Chinese message that no, it's better order is better than freedom. So we have to manage this issue very, very carefully so we don't take our eye off the greater issue. Someone get Mr. McCallum some tape. Yeah. (laughs) Or a good stiff drink. Well, no, he's had probably too many of those. A few more. Thanks a lot, Leanne. I don't think you need to give him that. Um, Let's just squeeze this one in before we get to a break, because this is a headline we woke up to. It's talking about the the biggest, longest lasting benefit fraud scheme ever discovered in this country. And we're talking about one of the more reputable, uh, one of the longest serving geriatric hospitals in this country has now fired 150 employees for falsely claiming as much as five million and benefits over eight years so they were billing for stuff not getting the product they're getting the money there's this notion liana that you know there's no victim of this crime and there very much is there's this well i don't have it i'm just going to take it but the fact that the police were notified one year ago and there's still no criminal investigation should this not be a, a case where people are getting charged I, it's tough because this is basically insurance fraud, right? Yes. In, insurance companies have their own investigators. And I know the police tend to be, they don't want to seem overzealous. They don't want to step on toes. It's a difficult situation for the cops because they'd rather, they'd rather, um, deploy their resources, uh, you know, with, with violent crimes and more urgent things, let the insurance companies handle it. It's not a victimless crime. It's not like people, pay to put their loved ones in mm. these facilities it's not it's not free right and it it's almost like this is a market issue this is something that the corporation has to take up and they fired all these people right like so what and, like, and when you add this to the the ongoing scandal with you know doctors and, and billing yeah it's really shining a light on the fact that you know overcrowded hospitals aren't our only issue in healthcare, and there's there is a lot that that needs addressing to to close these loopholes, to have more oversight in this. insurance rates in this country that they're going up and up and up. Well, hello, they're going to continue going up as long as people... This is $3.4 billion a year in this country that people are stealing. 
I'd, I'd like to know how much these employees were actually getting paid, though, because people who are well paid, they don't tend to commit this kind of petty oh, fraud. Oh, I don't want them. I'm so, not. These, some of these people, I've, I have a colleague who once worked there. These people are not making small amounts. Not, I mean, these are. And by the way, I don't think that justifies stealing. Oh, it doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't justify it. it, doesn't, it but it, but a personal morale, service yeah. worker, a support worker, you know, yeah. making, you know, $16, $17 an hour. You understand more how but that might come into play then. this the TTC, we saw this. I mean, these are these group, big group insurance fraud. But, but keep in mind, these people are getting assaulted at work. You know, the workplace conditions might not be so great. Mental health supports may not be there. Not excusing it, but we want to stop the problem. You know, these people are fired, but what's to stop other people from doing it again? I'm sure it's not the only facility and, you know, it doesn't stop it completely. But if people are well compensated, it's amazing how morality starts to come up. You guys are far nicer than I am. I got to be honest. I'm throwing the book at all of them. <laughs> I mean, because you're stealing. And but, you're but stealing. to Liana's point, if, if the, the answer is to solve the problem, not to just punish the, the people who commit the crime. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the long-term solution, right? yeah. Yeah, it's theft. We got Liana Kersner in and Jason LaChapelle uh, joining us. Some new voices here. Um, we are just learning now... <laughs> That the city of Toronto had two separate incidents where somehow ransomware compromised city systems. What was compromised? We don't know. What was taken? We're told nothing. It was a minor thing. And yet what we are learning, uh, and this is kind of your world of expertise out, Liana, is that the city of Toronto has no bloody protocols in place. That's not what they said. I'm saying bloody um, in place. But we saw this in Wasaga. We saw this in Collingwood. We saw this in Stratford. I will give the municipalities a little bit of a break because they're dealing with a huge monster and they don't have nearly the infrastructure or the the resources that the city of Toronto does. But if Toronto can't get their act together, it doesn't leave me feeling very inspired. Well, there, there should be concern. I mean, the thing about ransomware is the the primary goal of somebody who issues a ransomware attack is money. It's not stealing data. It's not. It's a quick payout. Pay us this money. We'll release your data. So it's very likely nothing was um, taken. So, you know, in terms of public security records, we have little to worry about. The problem is, in order to harden our systems against these sorts of attacks, it involves spending money to prevent these things, which means nobody gets to be the hero. But they've had years to do this. But they need, an attack, they need an attack to justify oh. the money. So we better hope there's not more uh, cuts from Ford <laughs> to municipalities coming down the pipeline. Well, the, well, the, the city of Toronto <laughs> has uh, ways of sp- saving money and they've we, chosen not but to. I think, it, I think it goes to show that uh, this isn't a Toronto problem. I mean, our cities, our countries are not prepared for i mean the technology has advanced yeah. way quicker than our ability to regulate and protect ourselves from it crime I, I mean i didn't realize it's cyber attacks mm. on municipalities and cities the because it's crime. very difficult to prevent through technology mm. you yeah. actually have to train people and that's slow and it's expensive because it's big it's basically online street street proofing check your links before sure. you click on them don't open things from people you don't know check to make sure whether these odd emails really are i mean i get emails from justin trudeau and elizabeth <laughs> may once it wasn't really from them oh, it was and, a and, as, and yeah. as someone not versed in this world hearing stories of you know 10 year olds at hackathons who in five minutes can crack into something is you know it's really terrifying knowing that we you know we don't have the the expertise and the protections to to limit these sorts of I've got to be honest, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence if we're just hearing about this now. Uh, we'll start with this a legendary British documentary filmmaker and conservationist, Sir David Attenborough, uh, is saying publicly that air travel should be more expensive to help tackle climate change. And of course, flying has the largest carbon footprint of any conventional mode of transport. And yet, for some reason, Jason, 
Those who are telling us that we should all pay more are never the ones who are actually leading by example. I'm sure Mr. Attenborough has a lovely carbon footprint in his Let's private jet. Let's not attack jet. David Attenborough. Got, Come well, on. No, we but, all like, uh, but a David Suzuki, Leo DiCaprio, all these people are telling us what we should do, and yet they don't lead by example. Well, we don't know that they're not offsetting their their emissions when they fly, that they're not putting uh, money into funds to you know look into innovations around bio-based fuels for 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 flying so i mean let's not attack the individuals let's speak to the bigger problem of yes uh air travel is an issue uh we need innovation uh on the technology side to to look at sort of maybe bio-based fuels to to power planes and then on the personal behavioral side i'm always telling my friends who who like to travel around the world like let's let's appreciate what's in our backyard in ontario in canada um let's focus that on tourism and and then on the government side of things you know rail you know i lived in europe for a while and it was just amazing to uh, to travel by rail was a much seemingly healthier, uh, just more comfortable, therapeutic way of traveling. And, and and I think most people would agree they love traveling by rail. So I let's get some rail it's infrastructure. A way to see, I, it's a beautiful way to see the country, and I hate flying, so it's, you wouldn't have to push me on this. But it's again. really expensive, though. Like, I don't think make flying more expensive. It's already expensive. Rail. Make it cheaper yes. so that trip from Toronto to Montreal, it makes financial sense. But I don't buy rail. that these guys aren't... Ta- I mean, look, we know Suzuki, they fly all over the place doing speeches. That Do it by Skype. I mean, when are we going to turn the corner where people are saying, we're not going to go to the conference all over the world. We're not going to fly. We're just going to do these things by Skype or computer or teleconference, whatever. I I think that's part of the solution. But but the bigger solution is is having business, having government, having, you know, the big players on board who can actually make the systemic change that that is going to never see. That we still, as the clock is ticking, uh, as yet. the UN says, we have until 2030 to really turn now things around. They said around. 2012, so I'm packing my bags <laughs> for 2012. I'm ready to go. This time it's going to happen. Uh, it is no secret that NDP leader Jagmeet Singh likes to bike. Well, today he announced his party's vision for a national cycling strategy. And then, of course, he went on a bike ride through an Ottawa neighborhood. And, um, you know, he says that Ottawa has to set targets for expanding cycling infrastructure, encouraging more Canadians to use bikes to get around and education campaigns, etc. Leanne, I love to ride my bike. I hate to ride it anywhere near the city of Toronto because it's terrifying. I get that we need infrastructure, but I, do we really need a national strategy on this? I mean, is this not like a provincial or municipal mandate? Let's face it, it's not an interna- it's not a national strategy. It's an urban strategy. Right. Up where I live in the country, we can ride our bikes anywhere. Yeah, you People guys are, are a problem ATVs, unto yourselves. All that yeah, stuff. yeah. Like no problem. <laughs> it's an urban problem. Yeah. Right. And and too many cyclists to get do get injured. They mm-hmm. get hit by cars. We do have a serious problem. Now, what a national strategy would look like? I don't know I how you do cuz I mean, Ottawa a big problem is constant construction mm-hmm. montreal the city's freaking old you can't widen those streets you can't take any any space away from car lanes toronto is a different issue i, th- I think vancouver all those hills like who bikes i think those? dedicated yeah. funding is the solution so in ontario zero percent of our transportation bu- budget is dedicated to cycling or i rode my bike a- here so but, but let me ask you this i sure. mean liam brings up a good point the amount of money it would cost to widen the streets like i love bloor street all of a sudden because mm-hmm. you can ride your bike on bloor street but again mm-hmm. It is. A, it was a massive cost, and, and to do that across the country, where who's paying for all? That? It's not going to happen overnight, but I think our cities are going to look vastly different in five, ten, twenty years. So you start small. You look at the models of other cities. Victoria and Canada is a great model. I mean, London and the UK would be a, a bigger model for a big city like Toronto. But you look at where you can build, you know, cycle superhighways or taking them, you know, some lanes off the roads, and you just you just start and you just oh, commit yeah. to doing it. Thanks a lot. I really want to sit in traffic more, <laughs> right, Cyc- Jason? Cycling's <laughs> no substitute for a solid public 
And what do you do in the winter, by the way? Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, people can take their bikes only so far, and then you got to get on a streetcar, you got to get on a bus. Although being from out west, I see more people in those fat bikes in the winter trudging along. So uh, I don't know, minus forty. That's dangerous on its own, though. I mean, snow clearing, all that stuff. I had a friend. No, they do the bike lanes first now. Yeah, but I had a friend who uses the wheelchair. It's used a wheelchair. It's the interchanges. It's the intersection. Those furloughs Mm. give anything with a narrow wheel. It can't get through that snow. This is a compounded problem. There are a lot of issues that intersect with cycling that it would be great if we could address because then it would benefit everybody. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. I got to leave it there. But thank you very much for your inaugural visit. We'll have you back. That is Leanna Kersner and Jason LaChapelle. I thank you both.